0: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman.
1: Juanita White is from Louisville. She uh, is a script writer and a researcher and... More than that, and we'll talk about her background in just a minute. But uh, Juanita White is also a, a prominent member of our speakers bureau at Kentucky Humanities, and we appreciate her taking uh, some time out to talk with us about her her background in uh, in education and how she got involved with Kentucky Humanities and what she's doing now. So, Ms. White, welcome.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: You are an educator by by training. Tell yes. us a little bit about your, your uh, growing up in Louisville and, and uh, what you did uh, for uh, a number of years.
0: I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, like you said, and had a wonderful childhood and had the wonderful pleasure of having a mother who was a gifted storyteller and listening to stories about childhood and all of that just piqued my interest. Graduated from Mill High School and then went on from there to Clark College, which is now Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. And from there went to Kent, Ohio, Kent State, Ohio to get further training and got my master's degree at the University of Louisville. After that, I taught school for about five years in special education. And thereafter worked uh, in, uh, in curriculum and uh, with the district until I retired. And then after I retired, I started working at the Farmington Historic Home, and that was the home, the historic home of Joshua Fry Speed, who was Abraham Lincoln's very good friend, and the home also of James Speed, who was Abraham Lincoln's Attorney General during Lincoln's administration it was during my docent training, because I became a docent there, that I learned about a doll. And the uh, person who did the training was Deborah Spearing. She was the director at that time. And we came to one of the girls' room. And she said, this is Denny Thompson's doll. And I learned that the doll had belonged to an enslaved African-American woman whose name was Denny Thompson. She was not from Farmington. She wasn't born there. But her mother, grandmother and a number of people in her family had all been enslaved at that site. And so my interest was piqued and started digging to try to find more information about Denny Thompson. And as it turned out, the regent there, she was also looking for more information because they typically in these historic homes, they talk about the bricks and who all lived there, but very seldom who built the house who provided all the farm labor, and who made it possible for the children to have education and move on. So as it turned out, the Filson Historical Society had a gentleman there by the name of Penn Bogart. Penn was a masterful researcher, and he started digging and digging, and then I have a cousin by the name of Laverne Dunning, and Laverne is a family genealogist, and she started digging and then found a woman who knew Denny Thompson, who was the one who had the doll that gave it to Farmington. And she told the story of Denny's life that Denny had shared with her when they both worked at the neighborhood house, Elizabeth Wilson as a social worker and Denny Thompson as a maid. And so it turned out it was a wonderful story. Denny's mother tried to run away with her and got caught And Denny shared this story with Elizabeth Wilson. Denny belonged to a, uh, uh, a benevolent group called the Sisters of the Mysterious Ten and had a uniform. And so all of this was incorporated into the story of Denny's life. And she lived from 1857 to 1939.
1: 1939.
0: Yep, and before she died, she gave that doll to Elizabeth Wilson and Elizabeth Wilson in the 60s gave it to Farmington, and so the doll was there. And then I arrived as a docent to learn the story. So Irma Bush from Louisville, a wonderful actress, she played the role of Denny Thompson. Now, can I share just a little bit Please. about, about uh, our involvement yes. with the Humanities Council? I, my background has not been in the theater or in uh, drama and everything, but when we got selected, we, It was just a wonderful process because they provided us with a coach, a drama coach, uh, provided us with person to do costuming, and his name was Cy Weber, and Cy was great. And then we did the auditions, and then after that, the process, when you finished, you were ready to hit the road. We worked with that particular script for 14 years. And when we did our 200th performance, we were at Horse Branch Elementary School in Horse Branch, Kentucky, and we had a cake with candles and the children, and we celebrated, and that was great.
1: Now let me interrupt, uh, Juanita. I, I've been uh, all over the state of Kentucky, and I've been into some uh, uh, up some hollers and yeah. uh, and and down along the the flats uh, of uh, Western Kentucky, but I'm not sure I, I even know where Horse Branch is.
0: Now, I remember that it was near Beaver Dam. Okay. And that's the area. It was great. The kids were wonderful, and we just had a great time celebrating our 200th performance. Well, then, do you want me to share the rest of this, too, about after Denny Thompson, then we did a script on Margaret Garner, do, do you need the background on yeah, that? Please, yeah, please. Okay. Margaret, 1833 to 1858, was uh, lived in Boone County on the Maplewood uh, Plantation there. And her husband had masterminded a plot to help her and her four children. They were escaping. So it was in the winter of 1856 that the river froze. The Ohio River uh-huh, froze. Yeah. And they managed to escape across the river to Cincinnati and thought that they were there in freedom and somebody had told on them and the house was surrounded and these gentlemen had come back to reclaim her and they broke in and at which point she cut slit the throat of one of her children's necks, a little girl and then started to murder another one because she did not want them to grow up in slavery as she had. So this made national news. And so it was in the newspapers uh, in Cincinnati. And there was a lot of documentation about that. And um, there was a gentleman by the name of Steven Weissenberger. He wrote a book called Modern Medea, And it was about Margaret Garner and what happened to her life. And so Irma again, Irma Bush, she's excellent. Uh, She was able to do the drama for this. And Irma did this for four years. And then after that, in 2011 and 2012, wrote script for a gentleman whose name was Reverend Newton Bush. And Reverend Bush was in Company E, uh, the 5th United States Colored Cavalry. And it was in 1865 that he, along with a whole bunch of other men in that unit, were moving 900 head of cattle from Uh, Camp Nelson to Louisville and some they got massacred and Mm. so in the process uh, By the Confederates? Yes, by the Confederates and this was a a group of men who just really had just recently kind of been enrolled into the military and they were inexperienced but the townspeople came out and they had a mass burial and they put the ones that were killed there were 22 of them in a mass burial. Now um, Jerry Miller who's a representative of the state, he was doing some research on his great-great-grandmother trying to find out about whether she had been working in the school system uh, at a a school there in Shelbyville. And in the process, he ran across a diary. Uh, Liza Tevis had written uh, a diary. No, her name was not Liza. The last name was Tevis, Julia. (laughs)
1: Julia Tevis. <laughs> Julia
0: Tevis mm-hmm. had written a diary, and in the diary, she was talking about this terrible thing that had happened about this massacre. He didn't know anything about it, and uh, he lived in Shelby, around that area. And so the Shelby County Historical Society, with him writing a grant, was able to have enough money to do have an archaeological uh, ground penetrating from the U of uh, archaeological mm-hmm. staff to come to see if they could find that burial. And so that never happened. They didn't find it, but a historic marker is there right on US 60 to commemorate what happened to those men. And it just happened that I had the military file on one man who was in that unit whose name was George White. And in that unit, he, was his, he got killed. And his mother was trying to get his pension. And she asked Reverend Newton Bush, to do a testimony, uh, give an account of what had Mm -hmm. happened, because he saw George um, White get killed. And he he, was African-American. Yeah, all Uh of these are black soldiers. Mm -hmm. And Newton Bush himself had gotten shot in the head, but he survived. And so in the script, which uh, Robert Bell, Robert Bell's a great, great, great Mm -hmm. actor he did the reenactment and he was telling the story to his grandson about what had happened to him in the military and he recounts about how he had run away he was from franklin county and about his days at camp nelson and then he goes on to tell the story about what happened with this so all of this came together and that became part of uh, another script for um that we used for the humanities council and then lastly, uh, it is uh, Edith Goodall Wilson. Edith was from Louisville, Kentucky. Do you want me to go to oh, tell Oh, please, me? yes, okay. uh-huh. then we're
1: gonna go back and talk about each one of these uh, okay. again individually, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: Edith was from Louisville, Kentucky and she started singing at about the age of two, but at 13, she started going, um, she visited some friends of hers. Uh, well, it was a, a young lady by the name of Mary. And Mary had two brothers. One, these are African Americans, and they lived in the West End of Louisville area. And Edith would go and, to her little friend's house, and she would sit out on the porch. And people were coming to Mary's house because her brother, James, played the piano. And they would come and practice with their music and everything and so edith would sit on the steps listening to them singing and she would imitate them singing so one night uh one of the brothers heard her and he said why don't you come in and practice with me so they practiced and they were having a a show at a place in louisville called white's it was a park oh i cannot remember the name right now but anyway it was a park in louisville where um down near the river and it was only for white, whites at that time. And so James asked Edith to ask her mother, could she go and sing? And she knew her mother would say no, but she told him her mother said yes. So she went and so she would uh, bring the house down with her singing, she was young girl; she looked older. And one night her mother got up and, and it was about 11 o'clock and Edith wasn't in the bed. And the aunt that slept in the same room said, "Oh, she's always in and out." So her mother waited for, no, the next morning she came and you know talked to her. and Edith said, "Well, she was at her friend's house and she said, "Well, you can't go down there anymore." And finally she had to confess that she was singing at this uh, amusement park. And her mother said, "You're too young." So then she went with her to the amusement park to talk to the uh, owner, the manager. And he said, well, you know, she's really good. You need to come and see her. And when her mother did see her, she was blown away. And her mother, she said, um, mother didn't want her to work there. And her mother was making $7 a week as a maid. And Edith said, I make 35, you know, I make more. So with the permission from her mother and her father, the parents were separated, Well, actually divorced by this time. She was able to continue singing And her promise was that she would finish high school. But before that happened, she met Danny Wilson, who was an entertainer. And uh, a kind of love relationship was struck up. And so, with her mother's permission, she got married. She was not 13. She was older than that then, okay. And then they started traveling. And he became her manager and was booking her to really good shows and eventually she uh, made records for Columbia and uh, Decca and one other um, company, but she did well and she was, Danny died, um, he contracted coal and it went into pneumonia and she carried on her um, entertainment, but she moved to California and she was there and she learned, uh, she was really interested in acting, so she went to this Pasadena. Uh, I guess it was a school. I can't remember the title of it now, but uh, she would sit in there and listen cause she couldn't afford to play, pay for the lessons. And then sometimes she would sub for people. And so eventually somebody, there was an audition. And in 1948, she started working for Quaker Oaks as Aunt Jemima. She never really saw a problem with that. Neither did her family. But she continued this and she made um, good money doing this because they would take her to different places and she claimed she never made a pancake. She never flipped one. It was the Kiwanis Clubs and all these organizations that were raising money for boys and for you know good use. And she would go, they would fly her here and there and she would act like Aunt Jamama and sing and she had a good singing voice. She became their first TV, uh, really live advertisement On television and then uh, the civil rights movement across the nation started taking place and then the NAACP they said you know Miss Wilson you just got to quit this Uh, we're trying to have these open accommodations and everything and you are talking about uh, this aunt mama role and, and we just don't approve of it and finally there was so much pressure on Quaker Oaks that she eventually was fired but uh, she became involved with the folk music and not folk music but these festivals that they would have and in 1980 she was uh, part of the jazz festival and that was actually her last performance she died in 1986 and so that that was Edith's life but she had a good life she tried to do some um, good work in terms of raising money for retired African-American musicians, And, and usually they didn't have enough pension money and would have struggles, so she wanted to open a place where they could live out their days and then young people could come and talk with them about the industry and how they got involved in it, but that never panned out.
1: Did she come back uh, to Louisville? Oh, to be, she came back to be buried.
0: No, she's buried in uh, Chicago. Yeah, mm-hmm. but she was back and forth in Louisville mm-hmm. around Derby time,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: her family had a home uh, in what is called Berrytown, uh, which is out there near Anchorage. And uh, so they loved it when she came back. She would entertain her brother. He could. Um, he was a musician. He played the piano. Mm-hmm. So they really had a good time when he came.
1: Did the um, NAACP uh, think that not only were they trying to to open accommodations, but did they think uh, that Aunt Jemima's character was a stereotype of uh, of African Americans in in house cleaning and cooking and things like that? Is that one of the other reasons you think they?
0: Well, they thought it was a stereotype, and it was something created because most now think about it, during slavery. Somebody working in a kitchen would never be allowed to eat that much food to be that fat, mm-hmm. without somebody doing something to him. So this was a created image mm-hmm. that was very negative, and of course, um, they were trying to work on getting the actors and actresses mm-hmm. in screen deals and to perform in roles other than maids and butlers and buffoons in the movie industry. So. At every point not only with with Edith but it was everything you know just the industry had candies that had um, Whitman uh, candy had something chocolates, the, yeah, chocolates like little Piccaninnies or something on mm. the designs and so it was they were fighting with at all fronts it was mm-hmm. something you know the military the uh, restaurants mm-hmm. and clothing stores and parks and all of this it was the segregation and So they were trying to diffuse these negative images, Mm -hmm. yes.
1: Well, that's quite a story in itself, and the way she uh, began to uh, train herself at first, uh, by slipping off, uh, and and then became quite a well-known performer and and actress. And you also have some information uh, that that you've put together uh, about uh, the Matthew Garrison, Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, who was a slave dealer. But but tell me how you first learned of that and and that story.
0: I need to put one other little plug. If people involve us, come to see the performance about Edith's life, please come because Gloria Mormon is wonderful. She sings Edith's signature song, He May Be Your Man But He Comes to See Me Sometimes. (laughs) And Gloria is wonderful. She's an actress and a singer. And so rather... Uh, for our uh, Speakers Bureau part, we do ours more like it's a Chautauqua performance. We have a stage setting, and Gloria is dressed in the clothing from that period of time, and she does the singing. Now to Matthew Garrison. Penn Bogart, again from the Filson Club, was doing a talk at one of those preservation conferences that was held in Louisville. And so one of the parts of the talk was an on-site visit to a cemetery, and uh, they were trying to talk about the the preservation and upkeep of cemeteries. So Penn stopped at a site and he said, now this is um, uh, the grave of, oh, her name, Charity Garrison. And he said, Matthew Garrison paid for this grave site and Charity was one of his black common law wives and she was one of his slaves. And there was another woman too. And so I just kind of locked that in my mind And then I had a friend whose name is Cheryl. She still lives here in Louisville. And so Cheryl and I were talking and I was asking her about her grandmother's people because her grandmother really was a very, very light lady. And if you didn't know her, you would think she was a white lady. Mm -hmm. So uh, she said, well, I don't know. So she started asking her grandmother about um, her lineage. And as it turned out, in her lineage was Charity Garrison the same person <laughs> whose grave we had stopped at. And again, my cousin Laverne started doing all this research and found out the same Charity Garrison that had been left, uh, that Matthew Garrison had purchased this gravesite for was the Charity Garrison in the story. And the reason we know that, Matthew Garrison left an elaborate wheel. And in the wheel, he named Charity and all of her uh, children And then another lady, whose name I can't think of right now, Hmm. but um, her- Was
1: the other lady a a, a partner to to, to Garrison, also a common law wife? Uh
0: But yes, and so, uh, but you know, that's an odd phrase for slavery time, a common law wife. But anyway, that's technically now, that's the way we Mm -hmm. would see it. But she also had children too. And so Matthew Garrison left all of this money and everything, had property and money. And had an attorney to uh, make sure that they were cared for, and the children were educated. The boys, a particular boy, was educated for. And then now we have tracked the case. My cousin did, and it seems that there was some issue that the uh, charity was saying that uh, the attorney was not giving them the amount of money and everything that they were supposed to have. So some of this might have gotten tied up and, and lost because of these legal entanglements, but that was Matthew Garrison's story. And he was notorious. He was known for getting into the slave pens and, and just doing notorious stuff, you know. So um, we had that, but that one's not an offering now. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just learned uh, the story of uh, the Choctaw Academy in Scott mm-hmm. County. Uh, where the uh, Vice President Johnson, who was Vice President under Martin Van Buren, right, uh, was on that property and started the the Choctaw Academy. Mm-hmm. And he never married, but he had, and the reason I used partner a few minutes ago, because in discussing this story with the historian Christina mm-hmm. Snyder, who's written a wonderful book uh, titled A Great Crossings, which that area is... Is uh, called. He, she referred to Vice President Johnson's partner, mm-hmm. and, Julia Chin,
0: right, and their two daughters,
1: and the two daughters, right. Mm-hmm. So it's naive to think that it was um, an ordinary circumstance right. for for white men, for white mm-hmm. uh, landowners, to have several slaves or enslaved women as mm. as their concubines as That's their right. partners as their common-law wives right. it, it was quite prevalent in that time
0: it was of course we're now
1: learning the story of more about sally right. Hemings and thomas jefferson and strong thurman yeah you know in
0: recent times but uh-huh. if you look at the census uh census slave schedules from 1850 and in, in kentucky and 1860 on those slave schedules, you see the listing of a lot of mulatto children. The only way anybody could be listed as mulatto is the the liaison, or what, and and, and it might not have been that nice—rape, whatever—of black women having children by white men. So that's where all of those mulattoes are accounted for. Are they
1: listed as mulatto?
0: Yes, they're listed as mulattoes, right.
1: So it's either it's either white, black, uh-huh, mulatto. or mulatto, or mulatto. Right is that Is that right? Yeah.
0: So that's uh, eighteen fifty and eighteen sixty. The slave schedules. Hmm. Yes.
1: So of all the stories uh, that you have researched and the actresses and actors that you've worked with, mm. and and the, and maybe the stories that you're continuing mm-hmm. to research and want to tell, what what's the most interesting what's your favorite
0: i cannot point to one all of them have been each one of them have been exciting i've learned so much i've learned a lot about uh you know acting not necessarily for me but for those who do the performances Mm -hmm. and just a lot about african-american history i was amazed at some of the stories just like when you were talking about not being surprised at uh, the fact that white men would have had children uh, by black women. The the slaveholders is what blows me away, you know, and, but because they had the power to do this and who was going to stop them. So that just blows me away. Now you ask me about which of the stories. Um, Reverend Newton Bush was outstanding. I just can't pick one of mm-hmm. them. All of them have been really fascinating. Mm-hmm because of all that the people did to resist enslavement and what they did with their lives after slavery was over Uh, their perseverance um, through struggles and these were ordinary people but they pointed to what was happening to a lot of African Americans during those times and it just amazes me absolutely amazes me
1: do you feel Strongly that there are still many stories yet
0: to be told. Oh, (laughs) yes. Yes, indeedy, daily. (laughs) Yes, indeedy.
1: And if someone hears you talking about this and your your interest and your passion, uh, Mm -hmm. as you can well uh, hear in your voice, how would somebody get started in that? Where should they go first?
0: Well, typically, if they're learning these stories or if they're talking to somebody about their stories... Write all that down, the interview family folks, and get somebody to help them with the research. And now, see, it's so much easier to get documents than it has been before. And But if they're, if you're talking about somebody interested in presenting for the Humanities Council, <laughs> look for the next cycle, have a story and <laughs> sure. write it up. Well, yes. that,
1: that would be interesting in itself, but yeah. it's also just from uh, one's own personal standpoint mm-hmm. to find out. Do most of the, the county seats in Kentucky have records on file of of uh, enslaved uh, African Americans at the time of that 1850
0: and 1860? Oh, the the uh, they should, you know, and if they don't, you know, the you uh, meant the uh, in Frankfort. Uh, right now, my mind went blank. The Kentucky Historical Society. Right, thank yeah. you. They could help mm-hmm. them with information. Uh-huh. But the county seats have records, and uh, and, the his- and a lot of yeah. these counties have historical societies that they could talk to people to get them on the right route. So, yes.
1: Ms. White, what are you interested in working on next? What's your next project?
0: I'm right now trying to finish some research on a small cemetery in Corridon, Kentucky called the United Brothers of Friendship Cemetery. And in that cemetery, there are about 22 former Civil War soldiers, Civil War soldiers that are buried there. We're trying to document the names uh, of all the people that are buried there. There was a lodge that uh, purchased the property so that their members would have a suitable place for burial. And so that's what I'm doing now.
1: Where is that uh, located?
0: Cordon, Kentucky. It's in Henderson County. It's right outside the city of Henderson.
1: Goodness. How did you happen to Henderson from Jefferson or Fayette is a long way.
0: My my father was from Henderson, Kentucky, oh. and I have a, a brother who lives there. His mother, and we have different mothers but the same father, his mother lived in Cordon. and so I started visiting, and then I was telling him one time, send me the name of the Civil War soldiers that you have. and. I'm going to look up some information. And then it was there that we found out that our great-great-grandfather was buried there. And then our grandfather was buried there. And it was just out of pure coincidence that all of this came up.
1: Is it part of a, a city cemetery? Or, or is That's it a, in the
0: county area. In the county yeah, area? Uh-huh. Is
1: it well kept up? Yes. Is, is, the, is the Civil War uh, burials in a, in a sectioned off? No.
0: Uh, there is a volunteer group called the United Brothers of Friendship and the Sisters of the Mysterious Ten, the Joel Lodge <laughs> Cemetery Society, and they they raise money to take care of the cemetery. They have the land mold, and uh, they still have burials going on in there, and this has been in operation since the late 1800s, and they take care of that cemetery. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Well, Ms. White, it's been uh, fascinating to hear you tell your story and to uh, promote the fact that we still need to learn so much about our history and yes. at Kentucky Humanities, as you know, we, we love telling Kentucky stories and you're helping us do that. And uh, if you're interested uh, listening to this in, in contacting uh, Ms. White about anything, we uh, We'll, we'll act as the, as the sounding board for that, but she is listed on our Speakers Bureau uh, roster, uh, her telephone number and email address, and I know she'd be glad to hear from you.
0: That's right. I thank you and keep those stories going.
1: Thank you, Ms. White, <laughs> for being here.
0: Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud.